I have prayed a lot about this and in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because we could spend an entire year of Sundays talking about the return, talking about the parousia, talking about the rapture, talking about the end times. We could, and not even scratch the surface of something called eschatology, which is a study of the end times. So my heart hasn't been in, in feeling led to do this series for the last few weeks. I'm necessarily to get into all the nuts and bolts of, of, of revelation and things like that. I prayed a few days ago and I said, Lord, help me to boil this down. And I felt like he led me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 because here Paul isn't writing a letter to a church. He's writing a letter to Timothy who he describes as a son in the faith. So he's speaking to Timothy as a father would speak to a son. And when we come to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, we see him basically tell him of two things that are guaranteed. Can I give you something that's guaranteed this morning? There's two things that are guaranteed to happen in the end times. Two things. So I want to give you those two things this morning from the Word of God. And really, if you could boil it down to two things, it would be amazing. Everybody say two things. So two things are going to happen in the last days, and we need not be alarmed nor surprised. When you read Matthew 24, chapter 24, and Matthew chapter 25, it's pretty amazing as you read through the parables that Jesus is giving and as Jesus is talking about the end times in Matthew 24 and chapter 25. Not just there, but many other scriptures that Jesus dealt with this subject. But in those, one thing that has always stuck out to me was the surprise of certain characters in the parables of surprise that, oh, we're supposed to have oil. Or there was a surprise that, that the, they were supposed to be dressed a certain way for the wedding feast. And so I don't want this church that I am responsible for as the shepherd and the pastor to be taken off guard in the times and days that we're living in because I just kind of have a simple thought when it comes to teaching on these subjects. If I step back in, in, in the last, say, six, eight, ten months, a year, two years, I, if I step back and say, what in the world is going on? I know some of you have to be asking the same question. And these two things that I'm going to give you today will shine a light that Paul was talking to Timothy about how Timothy needed to be furnished for every good work and that there were two things that he said would mark the condition of the end times and the last days. So today let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start down in verse 14 and read through verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And, and it goes on to say that in, in uh, 3, 12, and 13, look back up just a little bit. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Father, for these next few minutes and moments, as your presence is already present here, Lord, we pause and, and acknowledge your presence. We pause and understand that right now in this moment you're closer than the very air that we breathe. 
that your anointing is present here, God. So I ask that anointing would help me teach all things, would help me minister the word of God, not for myself and from a place of flesh, but a place of spirit. Give the people of God ears to hear what the spirit of God is saying to his church in this time, in this hour. Lord, we're living, living in sobering, dark, difficult times. But Lord, we also acknowledge this morning that we serve a God who overcome death, hell, and the grave. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we do not walk this out alone, but we have the Holy Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us, around us, and amongst us. So Holy Spirit, help me today minister your Word. I give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here are the two things. Number one, from the scripture we just read, those who live godly will be persecuted. Those who live a godly life, now understand that when I say the word persecution, that's used, especially in the book of Matthew and in in other places, Titus uses the same word. Of Of course, Paul would have been writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Titus was also a spiritual son of Paul's. Paul used the word persecution to Titus and to Timothy, but Jesus used it upwards of 10 to 15 times just in the book of Matthew in talking about the end times. And understand, and we all realize and know this, that when I mention persecution, we live in a, thank God, we still live in a country that's free. Amen. Thank God. But, but we also are instructed in the Word of God to remember our brothers and sisters in chains, to remember those who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus, because there are many Christians and believers, even right now, while we're having this service, there will be people martyred for their faith. So Paul, talking to Timothy, talking about the end times, he's letting them know that the most important thing that we can just practically understand, I want to be very practical this morning and and challenge you, but also help you understand that if you're going to take a stand upon God's truth, there is persecution that's going to come against the church. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now you say, yeah, I came to be encouraged today. Well, well, welcome to reality because we wake up and we see that the world, because the two truths that I want to give you today is number one, those who desire to live a godly life will suffer some level of persecution and not just live a godly life by way of outward appearance, but live a godly life by way, because he says in there that the man of God would be furnished. Everybody say furnished. Furnished. There is something that God desires and wants to do in every believer's heart that is not just an outward uh, profession of faith, but it is an inward furnishing. When you furnish something, you complete the inside and begin to adorn it and begin to put couches and begin to put tables. So there's something of a godliness because there's nobody more miserable in their life than those who espouse a value of virtue verbally, but not living it inwardly. So I'm not talking about we take a a stand against the evil in our day by way of just espousing it with our mouth, but be willing to be the type of people in the end times that are not going to back up off of God's truth. Can I get an amen this morning? So Paul's trying to warn Timothy, if what you're espousing on the outside doesn't line up with who you are on the inside, you aren't going to be able to stand in the days that are ahead. 
There is persecution that is already beginning to spread and already beginning to move and already beginning to pass laws that if you stand on certain truths, then you're a person filled with hate. We're living in days when people are calling good evil and evil good. We're living in days where evil people... Does everybody understand one very important thing this morning? There is good and there is evil. There is the kingdom of God and His righteousness and there is the kingdom of darkness, the devil and His demons that are operating on this earth right now in this very moment. And I got news for you. You can't play the middle ground anymore. You're either going to say like Joshua did, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Because if you haven't made that decision yet, honey, when when it hits the fan is not the time to be making that decision. It is time now to make that decision like Paul told Timothy that if you're going to live a godly life, if you're going to be somebody that stands for God's truth, no matter what the culture around you is saying, because can I tell you, culture is going to lie to you. Culture is not going to lead you into a place of truth. Culture is not going to lead you into a place of relationship with God. It's going to, and I'm going to get to the what we can do about this because that's my question after I thought of these two things that will mark... We could talk about the mark of the beast. We could talk about the, the Antichrist. We could talk about the great dragon. We could talk about false world religions. We could talk about all those things. But I believe that to prepare a group of people for what's ahead, we need to have something inside of us that says that the hatred for true Christian and Christianity is only going to increase as the day gets closer. And that's the warning that Paul had for Timothy, that if you desire to live a godly life, then you're going to suffer persecution. I have a situation in my life right now, and I not to go into a bunch of detail for the sake of time, but I, I have come to a conclusion I could be completely wrong, but when you are a pastor, when you are somebody that has Christian-centered church, if you have Christian and church on your paychecks, and I had to submit those to a bank for, for a, a loan, And I thought to myself, with as much grief as they're giving me, there has to be something more. There's a spiritual... In other words, if you take a stand and there's something Christian on you and something that you espouse to say, no, those are my convictions. Listen, there are people out there that are set out to do you harm. And I'm not saying that's my situation. I said it pops up in my mind that 20, 30, 40 years ago, Christian used to be something that that people looked at and and admired. Amen? But now we're kind of like living in Jezebel times. I'm just preaching to you right now. We're living in Jezebel times, church. We are. That, that when the prophet came back into the, the throne room, they looked at the prophet who had called down fire from heaven and killed all the false. And, and if you want to talk about false prophets, if you look at that story, there are over 800 false prophets and one person speaking the truth. That tells me that, that there's, there's an 800 to 1 ratio... But we need to be people that understand it doesn't matter who's telling the lies and not speaking the truth. If we'll take a stand on God's word, he will answer by fire for his people. He will, church. So say two things. So not only will persecution begin to increase and arise, he's telling Timothy, just, just be prepared for this. Be furnished as a godly man. Be ready. Be prepared. Stand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand... And the second thing is, it says evil people will become worse and worse. 
Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is a guarantee. Evil people are going to get worse. I don't expect you to celebrate that. Amen? Because there's nothing to celebrate about that. That word wax literally means a gradual moving towards more and more and more debauchery, more and more and more evil. And literally the the picture that's painted there in the original language is somebody that's a pioneer of something. So if you think in this terms, when we settled this country, people began to move west and they began to cut through the brush and they began to to clear land and they begin to pioneer into areas that had never been settled and never been lived in before. And I'm sure as they moved into greater areas that were less and less populated, there was dangers. There were, there were worries of battles and worries of things jumping out of the woods and, and all those types of things. Now, if that's, if that's painted in a positive light, that's something to look up to. But the word picture here are evil people who are literally becoming inventors of something evil that we've never even seen before. You say, where does it say that? Romans 1 chapter 30. Look it up and read it. Romans 1 chapter 30 begins to say that in the end times that there would be people who invent new ways of doing and being evil, church. So when scriptures like this tell us, tells us that in the, in the last days that the godly will be persecuted and that evil men will actually begin to pioneer evil, you may say like me, man, what is going on in the world around us? What? There are people, if, if people could sit in a lab and actually create something that would have taken thousands of years to evolve, are you listening to me? And they can engineer stuff and release it upon the world and I'm not going down the rabbit hole conspiracy theories, y'all. I'm just telling you we're living in... In evil times where evil people are doing evil things. And I say to myself, why? What is going on? And I'll tell you what's going on. Revelation 12 verse 12 says that as the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the great dragon, are you hearing me? As he knows his time is short, he has more anger he has more ammunition, and he has more of a desire because he says he has come down with great anger because he knows his time is short. So not only will the godly, two things I can guarantee about the end times, is the godly people who take a stand on God's truth, there will be persecution that comes our way. And second thing is, is that evil people wax more and more and more evil. Because the Holy Spirit began speaking to me a few weeks ago on this very subject in this. Deception comes from the devil, right? He's the deceiver. He deceives. But listen to me now. We are living in delusional times. We are living in times where we step back and say, how could you possibly even think or believe that? And we need to step back and understand that deception comes from the enemy, but delusion is allowed by God. There are sins that people used to blush at that are being paraded openly all the time. And we are being, no, let me take that back. We are not being asked to to, to approve this. We are being demanded that we have to join this religion 
that's exactly what it is, too. It's a religion of, of, listen, it's not deception anymore. There are people out there that are deluded by the, by the enemy. And, it's, and read the book of Romans, chapter 1. When you finally give yourself over to something, God finally says, if that's what you want to give yourself over to, so you say, boy, this is really encouraging. It is encouraging because I believe with all my heart the darker it gets, the more that God's light will begin to shine through the United States of America. I mean, and you guys know me. If you've been here in this church any length of time, I believe with all my heart we have the best message because we have a God that redeems and restores broken humanity. We have a God who will pull people up out of the stuff that they're in and set them on the rock of God. There's nobody beyond God's grace. There's nobody beyond His redemption. There's nobody that's beyond being pulled back up by our God. I'd pastored a young adults group for years, and uh, they would go off to school. They more than likely had been raised there at the church, and you know, our, our kids, like we're doing upstairs, and like we're doing right now in the back, and even my own personal uh, discipleship of my own family and my own children. You do your best, and you teach them, you teach them, you teach them. And again, please hear me with the spiritual ears this morning. And then we send them off to secular school, colleges, and they come back just completely twisted and messed up. That's what I experienced. I'm not talking about your experience. I'm, I'm talking about my experience. You know, 18 years of discipling you in the Word of God in one hour of your philosophy course at Louisiana State University completely messed you up. In church, I did not, listen, I did not set them down and begin to tell them all the things that they shouldn't be doing. I learned that this generation wants to be told what they can do, not what they can't do. Yes. So I just, I, Lee and I were like, let's take them on the mission field. Let's go in the inner city. Let, let's show them, listen, let's show them what living for a real, live God, when they begin to put on the glasses of God's Word and the paradigm shifts. And I love going back home and visiting. It's been a while. Last time I was there, I was preaching. And as soon as I was done, one of uh, the young ladies who's now married, she was carrying her little three-year-old in her arms. And it's wonderful to see these young people who had tried to be twisted by the world, God said, no, 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 my word stands in their life. I want to tell you this morning, if you've raised those kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and parents listen to me, in the world and days we're living in, you need to have your kids, not only in kids' church, you need to gather them around your table and begin to show them that there is God's truth, and if we stand on it, yes, you are going to be persecuted, but let me tell you what, in the end, He doesn't win, God wins. Amen? God's word is true and we can stand on it and the godly will be persecuted. But understand as you look around and you see things getting worse and worse, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the age that we're living in. It's a sign that, because you have to say, I mean, are we really having this conversation? I mean, are, are these people really believe these lies and believe these things? There's an absolute infection of error and lies that is infiltrated. And again, this, is, this can be our finest hour. Because a, a broken world needs the best church that can possibly be offered to it. A church that, that again, is, 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 listen to me, loving. But love doesn't not tell the truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
Because grace without truth won't change a flea. But truth with grace, listen. Here's the truth. This is what God expects. Because He told Timothy, He said, listen, I want you to be furnished, listen, for every good work. And that's what He points him to. He doesn't point him to the fact that, yes, there's going to be persecution. And listen, there was, there was incredible persecution in those days. I mean, incredible persecution. I mean, we don't even know what persecution is when you look back through time and understand the first century church and what they... And for one very simple reason. And this runs all the way through Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation. And I'll say it again. There are two kingdoms operating on the earth right now. You might say, oh, I'm a person who just believes a lot of this and believes a lot of that over there. And maybe this is good and maybe that's so good. Listen, there's only, Jesus was very plain. You're, only, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. You're either going to have Father God in heaven or you're going to have Father Satan who is the prince of the power of the air. And he rules over a world system and a spirit called Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. Babylon. That is still prevalent and still in operation today. And be careful. Be very careful that you step back and you say, well, I was born in America. Listen, there are some Babylonian elements to our culture right here. You hear me? So we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. We need to step back and say, God, don't let me get caught up in that system. Because that system we see in Revelation is under God's judgment. And the reason they were so persecuted in the first century, here it is, is because Caesar, that ruled Rome, said that he was not only human, but that he was a god. So Christians, we, we understand that you believe in a guy who died on a cross. We don't get that. Listen, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the power of God to us who believe. It may seem like foolishness to the world, but it's the power of God on display. And they said, come on. You, 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 can, you guys can have your services and you can do your thing and come together and pray and, and sing to your God. But we just need you to bow down to Caesar. And what got them in trouble is they stood and said, we are good Roman citizens. We pay our taxes. We work in the hospital for the sick. We love our neighbor. We are self-sacrificial in our service to God. But we will not bow our knee to the God of this age because they knew and understood that the God of this age is already under God's judgment. It's already being judged from all the way back, all the way to the end of Revelation. So my point this morning is even though that we will face persecution, whatever level that is, especially living here in this country, I don't know. But I do know this. This old boy has told himself lately, it's time to take a stand on some truth. It's time to take some stand on what God says rather than what our culture is saying. Because that's basically, we're going to look at Daniel here in just a minute, and that's basically what was going on with Daniel and those who were in Babylonian captivity. There is a world system that is still in operation. It is still influencing the entire world. It's influencing our country. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all the people in this story, what you need to understand is when I preach things like this, the first instinct is, well, I'm going to just huddle up and bunker up. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to, okay, I'm going to hide in my house until the Lord comes back. 
We are a hospital, not a bunker, y'all. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We need some people with some grit and some guts to rise up in God's kingdom and finally just start saying that, no, we, we don't adhere to that worldly Babylonian philosophy. Every culture that you study, and I love history and I study cultures, every culture that you study, the downfall of that culture was very simple. They go after the kids first. Yes. Amen? Yes. Well, not in Citrus County. <laughs> As for me and my church... You guys got my back? Yes. Okay. And then they go after the men of that culture. Yes. Are you hearing me? Yes. Because if you can get the kids and then you can make all the men feminine, yes. it's, it, I'm telling you the truth today. That is exactly how the enemy begins to infiltrate. And Daniel and all his, and we, we say, well, are we supposed to remove ourselves from the world? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus was very clear, hey, you're, in the, you're not of the world, but you're still in it. And here, it doesn't say we become salt and light. It says we are salt and light, church. And, it, and, and Daniel and, and the rest of the people who were carried into Babylonian captivity, you would think, and I'm sure they probably had this mentality, well, they've, they've now let us go. We're in captivity, but we're still here in Babylon, Babylon, and we're still here in the country of Assyria, and we're still here. So why don't we just separate ourselves from them, and we're going to camp in tents outside the city, and we'll have our own life. And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to go into the culture, and I want you to pray for the blessing on the culture, and I want you to be the salt, and I want you to be the ones who mold culture. The church, a lot of years ago, said to themselves, well, if the world's going bad, and in the 60s when you had rebellion break out in our country, and all the things that began to happen were law and order, were beginning to be swept under the rug, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the merits of those things, I'm just telling you, there was a spirit of rebellion loosed in this, church, in this country in the 1960s. Study your history. And we, we, we say that. We say, and the church said, well, if, if, we can't, if, if, if we can't influence culture anymore, let's just retreat into the four walls of our church and we will no longer have a voice in the, the, the molders of culture. In education, we just said, here you go. In entertainment, we just said, well, here you go. In every area that influences the culture that we live in, the fault is not the culture. The fault is weak people in the church. The fault is that we had pastors that were more worried about gathering a crowd than preaching God's word. Are you hearing me today? So there's two things that he said I can guarantee. So I can guarantee you two things at the end times that are going to happen. We talked about the 18 things that mark people will be inventors of evil. People literally say... That's not evil enough. Let's see how much further I can go. Or is that not the time that we're living in? Like, there's no shame in parading in front of kids, looking and dressed like you. And listen, before you think I'm, 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 I'm picking on one group, I'm not. I'm saying that it's time for the church to rise up to a new level of warfare, of prayer. Amen. 
Because I do not hold a view that the church is, I've told you this a hundred times, and the Lord lets me be here for another six years, I'll tell you a hundred more. I do not have a view of the church just barely hanging on by the skin of her teeth and being beaten up by the devil because God is in our midst and God will arise and his enemies will be scattered. Amen? In other words, I see a church victorious without spot or without wrinkle. I see a church that's, that's, that's not going down, and it's not a great rescue mission. It's like Jesus finally says, I'm so in love with my church, i got to come back and get them. Yes. Father, when's the time? We talked about it last week. Father, when's the time when everything is prepared? And church, if you think the end and the return of Jesus is based on the, the, the hands on a clock, it is not. It is based on doing what He already told us to do 2,000 years ago. Go into all the world... And preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Be the salt, be the light, be the cultural molder. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the people in the story that we're going to look at to end today, were living in literal Babylon. But that spirit of Babylon goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. It goes all the way back to leaving the presence of God. It it is a whole system of entertainment, of economics, and religion that is in the world and has been in the world for thousands of years. It is not going away, but we as American Christians have done a very poor job of recognizing where the enemy is operating. Because if you think he shows up with a pitchfork and horns, honey, let me clue you in. He's an angel of light. A lot of what he does and says sounds a lot like the truth, but it's error and will lead people. Jesus said this, and it always fascinated me, but let me tell you another element of the times that we're living in this morning. He said, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the truth that you're operating by is actually falsehood, how great is that falsehood to lead you astray away from the true and living God? Lead you astray from the true word of God. Amen? Amen. Turn over to the book of Daniel chapter 3. So we had 1 Timothy chapter 3 and now we're in Daniel chapter 3. So what was Timothy supposed to do? My question, big idea today is, okay Lord, what is it we are supposed to do? The answer is found in Daniel. Listen, we have a choice in our personal lives, in our homes, with our families, okay? You can either set the culture... Or you can be molded by the culture. Amen? We either be a thermostat or a thermometer. (laughs) That's the truth. Jesus said it this way, be a light on a hill, be the salt of the earth. Church, we're not to retreat from culture. And how can we do that? Jesus prayed the Father, Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. See, we aren't of the world, but we are still in the world. So how can we do this? How can we... Influence culture. Everybody say stand. Stand. Now don't stand up thinking we're closing just yet. Some of you are like, oh, did he say stand? Wake up. Say it again. Stand. Stand. We are told over and over and over and over again in the word of God to stand therefore. Now what I'm telling you this morning is the things we're taking a stand on will eventually cause you To pay a price. And I say, thank God. I went to the most radical Bible school that you can possibly attend. Our class song was, by life or by death, we will serve the Lord. We sang it. 
And we have people that we graduated with that were martyred in the Middle East in countries like Libya. I got a good friend who's actually back with a pastor friend of mine in Indiana right now that today, this Sunday, his name's Fabian. Fabian is in Iraq, has been for about 15 years, planting churches. These are, these are people that I'm honored to have even shared the same church pew with. But I look back and I look back and the Lord told me when I left there, I was, I was leaving and, and heading home. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, don't ever forget where you come from. And I'll admit through the years I've gotten, I've gotten sucked up into culture. I've gotten sucked up into a little bit of the deception of the enemy. That, well, Lord, let's, I think you, 20, 15, 20, 25 years ago, we could just kind of take the chance. I live and let live. But church, if you can't recognize the indoctrination and the evil that is happening in our culture for our kids, then I don't know what else to tell you. Because it is. It's evil. It's the spirit of Babylon. The enemy knows how to drag down and to, to abuse a culture. So look here at, at Daniel chapter 3 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. Now stop right there and look back this way. I want to point out in the passage, we're going to read a lot of scripture to finish up today. But I want to point out how many times the word image is used and it wasn't just an image we'll read in just a moment that there was an image that was accompanied by sound okay the devil doesn't come with pitchfork and horns that's a caricature in culture that has been painted of him he's actually according to the word of god quite beautiful it says he can appear as an angel of light that means we have to have discernment we have to have biblical literacy You're not going to survive the days ahead unless you know that word that's right there in your lap. We're not. But we have biblically illiterate Christianity in the United States of America. And here it says, and what I want to point out to you in a spiritual way, is that the enemy is not ignorant of his, we're not, Paul said, you're not ignorant of the devil's devices we are today. Because when it says that he set up an image and accompanied it with sound, I just want to point out, do be careful what you're viewing and what you're listening to. That's not old-fashioned, holy roller, Pentecost. Maybe we need to get back to some of that. Maybe we need to get back to calling evil, evil, and good, good. Because the, the, our culture no longer does it. But there is, in other words, why do you sit down with popcorn and watch two hours of something that blasphemes God? Well, it's, it's just entertainment. Right, it's just it's just a little light entertainment. Or why do you sit and listen to something that blasphemes God? I don't come down on my kids super often, but if I hear something that's black, I will whoop their. I, I might go get them right now, y'all, because they probably listen to something that's. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You'll wait all day. George is going to help me. Come on, George. A seventeen-year-old's getting big, y'all. I, I warned him one time. I said, don't bow up on me. I said, I'll bite you. I said, I'll pull your ear off. If you've got a hold on me and I think you're winning, Dad will do anything. Okay? He backed down. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth was huge. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then all these people, and you can read the room yourself, it says that for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and that they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Sounds like people who were going the extra mile for evil, and we know that it was. And then it sounds like people that were going to be persecuted because they took a stand and said, Oh, that's your image and that's what you're bound down to? As for me in my house, huh? As for me in our school system, huh? As for me in Citrus County, huh? As for the state of Florida, uh uh-uh. I can't speak for all those other crazy people. All right. Look down at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen, I want to point out something. Look back this way. We all bow to something. And the the way that Jesus said you could discern what it is that you're bowing down to is where does your time, your talent, and your treasures get invested in? Because when you read Revelation and there's a there's a there's persecution on the earth, wrath is being poured out, and you you read the book of Revelation and you see heaven rejoicing that Babylon the great has fallen, that the great enemy of God has been judged and has fallen, and God is winning and God is going to win. There's celebration in heaven. It says the people on earth were crying and weeping at the fall of Babylon. Today you could say, what am I bowing to? If things were to fall apart, would you be crying or rejoicing? It's that simple. Because we all bow to something. And for us to... Jesus said very, very plainly, listen, if you want to know where your heart is, where's your treasure? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thief can't destroy. Because where your treasure is, there is where your heart is. The reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say, we, 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 we're part of this community, we pray for His peace, we have worked and worked our way up to a place where we actually administrate your administration, O King, and we're good citizens and we do this, but there's one thing we will not do. We will not bow down to what you're putting in front of us. And it finally came to a place where it was going to cost them something. So if you want to know what you're connected to, do you weep when the stock market crashes? Because you only got no stock. No, I'm kidding. It's like, I got no money in it anyway. Because to evaluate where our hearts are, you just simply say, where's my treasure? What do I invest my time in? So how do we stand in this day? What do we do? We do exactly what Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, talking like a father to a son. Like I would sit down with my kids and say, guys, I know what you get shoved down your throat every single week. I know what the spirit of this age is telling you, but let me tell you God's truth. Because to stand firm and to take a stand in this day, it's going to take courage. 
Listen, courage is not a lack of fear. When I stand up here and half-jokingly say that I will probably, more than likely, within the next 10 to 15 years in this very country that we live in, will probably get accused of, of espousing hate speech because I took a stand on God's Word. And they're probably not more than likely going to come in and get you. And so when I say those things, knowing that it very well could happen and head that way in our country with the way things are heading, I don't say that with, yeah, I'm like, man, I don't. This old boy ain't made for jail, y'all. I, I like my recliner. I like my wife. You know? So when they took a stand, I have to think to myself, and don't let me add anything to God's scripture, but let me paint a picture, that they had to think, man, that fiery furnace don't look too great. They didn't like, yeah, put me in there. They're just like, look, we're not going to bow to that. And, and listen to me. Listen to me. This is the key. This is the key. They said, our God's able to deliver. But even if he doesn't, that's called faith. If the church could rise up with faith in our lives and in our hearts, listen, because faith is contagious. People taking a stand upon God's word. Listen, we think it would have the opposite effect in our culture. Listen, it would have the effect of other people standing up and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to get our kids. No. You're not going to take an entire generation. That's exactly what he was wanting to do. I love a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've read a lot of his work. He was a credible man of God. And the more I've studied him, the more I realize that, you know, when Hitler was beginning to do all of his things in, in Germany and beginning later on to arrest Jewish people and those, all that, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually in New York City, could have stayed in New York City because he was offered by the seminary he was going to in New York City. We've got a room for you. Things are crazy over in Germany. Why don't you just stay here until all this is blown over and then you can go back? And he said, no, I need to lead my church. But it was interesting when he went back and listen, this is the danger of the deception of Babylon and the deception of the age that we're living in. Here's the danger. As people, good Believing Christian, they believe the doctrines, they believe that Jesus rode from the dead. When they would be walking to church, in Bonhoeffer's writings, they would be walking to church and there would be trains full of people being taken to prison camps. Why? Because they didn't believe right. You hearing me? Yes. And, and what they would do when they gathered in their churches so they wouldn't have to hear the trains passing by is they sang their hymns louder. Church, I wonder if we're just not singing our hymns louder, completely ignoring where things are heading. Because he told his family, he said, look, don't weep for me. Here it is. The reason he could say, Do, don't weep for me, is because if you're a believer, you are in a win-win situation. If God decides you live, then you live for Christ. If God decides when you take a stand that He's going to call you home, and that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that heart and spirit to say, I I see everybody else bowing down. I see everybody else backing up off of the truth. I see everybody else. And they probably looked around and even saw some of their good friends. Well, it won't hurt just to bow one time. Listen, you bow one time, you're going to bow again. You're going to bow over and over and over again. Number one, to stand firm, it takes faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Again, they said, even if he doesn't show up, we aren't bowing. Buddy, if you'd come to the 
pulpit. I think Alexis is upstairs in the kids' church. Listen, you're in a win-win situation. I said it before and I'll say it again. If you're hearing my heart wrong, you may, you may just be fired up and say, Yes, bless God, I'm going to go to the restaurant, eat chips and salsa, and tell everybody I see they're going straight to hell. <laughs> I'm telling you what's going to win over this culture are people that are in love with God. Because we have a God who's a redeemer and restorer, church. So, when listen, when they took a stand of faith, it may have been difficult and it may have been hard, but to stand in the days that we're living in is going to take faith. Faith over fear. Faith over what the enemy is, is spewing and saying. Faith over all these areas. But it's going to take faith. Everybody say faith. So when we take a stand, we take a stand in faith in God and His Word. We don't need to rant and rave. We just need to be redeemers and restorers. Verse 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not heard. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Aren't you glad you have a Jesus that will walk through the fires with you? Oh, that's called a theophany in theological terms. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So they go into the fire and they come out with not even a hair singed on their head. For our talk today, church, with God's help, we can be in culture and engaged in culture and not smell like the culture. It is possible. Number two. Standing firm inspires other. We see them walking through the fire with faith in God. What happened? We see there, it actually caused a revival to break out. I wonder when we're praying for revival, if we miss our element of our our agreement with God in prayer, yes, but also just having to be the type of people that will stand up. to be the Because it will cause others to look and say, hey... They serve a God that's a redemptive, restoring God. They got promoted. (laughs) So the thing that you're facing today, Jesus is with you in that fire, whatever it is. You need to understand that the purpose of the fire is to burn off bondages and sin out of your life. And you need to understand that God's desire for you through whatever you're walking through today is to promote you to a new place. God's called this church for much more than just having services. Amen. Amen. He's called this church to know God, to grow in faith with Him, and to go into all the world. We have people right here that have been raised up and sent out on the mission field in Spain and Northern Africa. Got people coming down the pike that desire to be used by God on the mission field. We have wonderful people right here that minister all over this community. And that's, see, that's salt and light. That's taking a stand. Because we also live in a world that looks at other people and just demeans them and says, oh, you're no value. Listen, everybody you come into contact with is Jesus with skin on them. When you read Matthew 24 and chapter 25, the surprise part was always 
evident in there. And one of the surprises with the sheep and the goats, and they're like, Lord, when did we do that? Because there becomes such a love for God that you're just naturally just sowing into everybody around you. And not only can our faith cause other people to stand up, but our faith, number three, will also help us to stand in prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Stand up with me today. So let's do with our feet what I'm actually saying to do with our lives. Because church, the place that this old boy, and this is as simple as I can make it, when it comes to cultural issues, probably 92% of them don't amount to a hill of beans. It's just things for Christians that you're being fed as much propaganda as what the other side's being fed. Are you hearing me? Okay. It's truth. Because we have... We have not done a very good job of understanding the differences between preferences and convictions. I talk to people often and they're like, well, bless God, I I sit on the same row with so-and-so. And bless God, I saw him the other night and they were doing such and such. It's like, I've learned a long time ago, I've got a lot of preferences, but I only have a handful of convictions. You say, Pastor, how do I tell the difference? A conviction is something I'll die for. If somebody came up to me and said, stuck a gun in my face and said, do you believe in pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, or post-trib rapture? They're like, dude, I can make an argument for all three. Please don't shoot me. They stuck a gun on my head, up to my head and said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and He paid for your sins? I'd say, pull away. Because we need to get back down to a root of our convictions and doctrine of the church of the things. And listen to me, where this old boy will get riled up in the Spirit, because, listen, we're not going to win this battle through anything besides getting on our knees and crying out to God. This should generate us to pray all the more. And I don't mean your quiet time. I'm talking we need a church that rises up finally with the Word of God in our mouth and the Spirit of God on fire inside of us and begin to declare over our county, over our schools, over our families that the devil has had a heyday long enough and there's a church that's rising up and taking a stand. When the places of culture intersect with my God and His Word, that's where I'm going to stand. And I'm not backing up off of it. So we can take a stand. We can begin to pray. We can stand for our purpose. Because the enemy is going to try to push you off of your purpose. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Church, the more don't get a picture today of the end times over what I've told you, that the more Satan manifests himself, the more that Jesus backs up. Listen, the more Satan manifests himself, the more the Lord will rise with healing in his wings. Arise, shine, for your light has come in the glory of the Lord. Darkness, darkness, the light is shining. This can be our finest hour because a broken world needs a good church. And number three, stand for God. Why do I say that? Can I tell you why I stand for God? Because God already stood for me. He stood at at a cross and carried it and then went and hung on it. So there's nothing my God would ever ask or require of me that is even a a fraction of what He's already done. Amen? Amen? Bow your head and close your eyes this morning.
want to ask this question as I always do, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray over our family specifically here in just a moment, but I want to make sure, especially as we talk about the end times, especially as we talk about the, the day of the Lord nearing and approaching the return of our King, that will do away with the world system and set up His kingdom, millennial reign of Christ. Jesus is going to finally show us how it should have been all along, the marriage of heaven and earth. But I want to make sure you're on your way there this morning. And that's a very simple question, yet it's so profound and so deep that it's make your mind smoke. But it's simple as this. Whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That you admit that you're a sinner who is away from God. You believe in your heart that He is the Son of God. That He is who He said He was and He did what He said He did. And then you confess with your mouth. That Jesus, you are Lord and your Savior, ABC. So I want to ask that question this morning. Does anybody in the house just say, I want to surrender my life and give my life to Jesus? Would you shoot your hand up right there? Shoot your hand up. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit's working on your heart right now. And I want you to know, for some of you, I want to say this. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today understanding that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. I ask you today that you cleanse me from my sins. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I ask you to forgive me, wash me clean. I believe that you're Lord. And I believe that you're Savior. Change my heart. Come into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise you. Praise you, Lord. Two quick things. We're going to pray over our families, and I'm going to dismiss you with a blessing. Two quick things. If you've got young kids in here, big mistake that I made because cell phones and iPads were just coming down the pike. I'm going to tell you my mistake. When you just hand your kids something that has access to the evil that's out there in the world, be, be careful. Some of your kids are going to come kick me in the shin later on. They're like, why dad take my phone away? There's evil and they're after a generation of our kids. So father in Jesus name, in Jesus name, we pray over our kids. We pray over this church. We pray that it would literally be a strong tower and the righteous would run into it and be saved because your name is lifted up over this house, the name of Jesus Christ. It's the only name we need and it's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. So God, we declare the name of Jesus over our families, over our children, over our grandchildren and our children's children. Father, we pray that there would be a commanded blessing and legacy over our kids that you would raise, help us raise them up in fear and admonition of the Lord, that they would be the Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes of their day. Put them in places of influence, God. Put them in places where they would, would be in the company of kings and leaders and speak boldly the word of God. Father, we pray protection. I plead the blood of Jesus over our families. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over this church, God. I pray the blessings of God over them as they go. Father, may they be blessed going in and blessed going out. May they be blessed in, the, in, their, in their homes and may they be blessed in their workplaces. God, let favor be found 
upon each one of them, God. Protect us and watch over us, Lord, until you bring us back to the appointed time. Lord, we love and praise you, and we're careful to give you all the glory. Lord, let your word find its way into our heart and cause fruit to grow. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord.